Uh, it's Kev from the Leg Up Project, and we are on episode two of the podcast. I have got Craig Smith here and Phil Bland. So, what we've got in common, guys, let's get straight to the chase. We're all Colville lads. We all mm-hmm. grew up around here, but there's one thread that we've got, isn't there? When we, like our origin stories of how we met. About 30 years of history, I'll make it. Yeah, Probably. I reckon it is. I'm going to let you go for it, Craig. Yeah, too. cool. So we, we all met, I'm trying to work it out, probably late 80s yeah. at uh, 1188 Squadron Air Cadets in Colville. Hoorah! Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, going back, uh, I remember joining up uh, as a very nervous sort of 13-year-old uh, and uh, there was Corporal Bland looking very smart with his shiny shoes and uh, neatly pressed trousers. Yep. No, it weren't me. It was, so it weren't Phil. That was no, me. no, it oh. was you. <clears throat> I never made corporal. <laughs> <laughs> did you not? I Ed thought was. you did. Oh, yeah, you bailed out though, didn't you? You like you, you bailed out the cadets to go and be a marine at sixteen, didn't you? Yeah. What a quitter. <laughs> <laughs> I stayed there till I was eighteen. Nestled See, I, I didn't make it that long either. Did you not? No, no. I think I was about fifteen when I left, and then. Uh, I joined up at the RAF at 17 and a half. Excellent. But 1188, let's have a, you know, a, what was that for us? What was that to us at the time? I think it, it's a place where all young people, no matter what walk of life you're from, where, you know, what background you're from, everybody's the same. And, and this is why I'm a massive advocate of any uniform service for any young person. Yeah. It's the fact that you can go there with no expectation of you and you can just be yourself and you can excel in an environment where others encourage you. It, I, I've got to be honest, it's, it was my alternative curriculum, because I, I, I wasn't getting on well with school when I... Uh, it'd be what we call Year 10 and 11 now, but before it was called Year 4 and 5. But I, I just didn't, it didn't, I didn't connect with education and school at that time, but I, I loved being in the cadets. Mm-hmm. So Tuesdays and Thursdays... Smart as you know, the discipline was there, and I and, and I was good. You know, I would, I was, <laughs> I did have some self discipline at cadets because there yeah. was, I was aiming for something that I wanted to do. Well, so, that's... yeah, it worked really well. But, but the fun we had mm-hmm. and the opportunities. So, like, Phil, what did you do as a cadet? What did I do? Um, flying in the chipmunks, yeah. Why can I remember that the wingspan is 28 feet? <laughs> All I remember, and this, any air cadets out there are going to probably know this from the video, the, the safety video. video. Jump, jump, John. So, like, you're basically 13. How old are you, 13? Yeah, probably. You're going yeah. in a yeah. plane, it's, it's a tandem in it. Yeah. You've got a pilot in front. I mean, I was so small, I couldn't see anything until they, like, rolled it over and looped the loop. You're wearing a parachute under your backside, didn't you? And you watch a training video that you might have to jump yeah. up. <laughs> He's got that little hatch, isn't it? That little hatch about one yeah. and a half foot at the top. Yeah. And I'm thinking, how the hell am I going to get out of that? Yeah. So. And you've got like, um, talk about building resilience, right? So, you know, the Leg Up Project is is all about mindset, behaviour, mental health, resilience, well-being. But at that age, building resilience, you know, so what what did what else did you do, Phil? Yeah, flying in helicopters, yeah, uh, gliders, um, and I also went to Cyprus for a week as well, didn't I? So. How old were you when you went to Cyprus? Obviously under sixteen, weren't you? Or were you just? No, I think I would have been sixteen. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, what's I think five days a week maybe on. It's uh, weird, isn't it? Yeah, RAF Akrotiri. I went to Germany when I was fourteen, mm. and that was a big deal, you know. I mean. I, First time away from home, 
Cubs, eight years old at Wilsley. Awesome. <laughs> That's the start, isn't it? Let's be honest. <laughs> Cubs is a similar thing, but the Air Cadets for me was next level. Mm-hmm. So, Craig, tell us what you did, like, post-cadets. Well, post-cadets, I, uh, I, like yourself, I wasn't an academic at all. Uh, left school with no qualifications. It wasn't because I wasn't bright. It was just hated school. Absolutely hated school. And I couldn't wait to leave. So uh, I joined up on a YTS uh, and on Ashby Road in Colville. I started my YTS as a car mechanic. And I absolutely loved the role. I loved going, you know, Monday to Friday. And I'd even go in on Saturday mornings as well that I got a bit of overtime for as well. I actually, more an overtime than I did in my £28.50 a week. Um, <laughs> well, it went up by a quid. Yeah. <laughs> I was on twenty seven fifty when oh, I did my YTS. And how the hell did we manage to go to the Fox and Goose every Friday and still have change? Unbelievable, uh, isn't well, it? Well, you might have gone in, but I, I didn't look old enough, so I, well, could, yeah. I still could get in anyway, even when I was like 18. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that was my sort of leading into work. But I knew pretty much straight away it wasn't what I wanted to do. I'd always wanted to join the RAF ever since uh, being in the Air Cadets. Uh, but I just didn't have the qualifications. So the YTS gave me a platform to go out there and do vocational qualifications that you know, I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, proper qualifications that meant something to me, not just you know maths and English and mm. everything else. Um, so that allowed me over the next 18 months to gain their qualifications. And then I joined up as an aircraft engineer and... Uh, Posted straight to one on one squadron, which are the air to air refuelers. And by the time that I got to 18, I'd been to about 10 countries. So, absolutely fantastic. That's crazy. But you know, I went on a YTS, mechanics YTS, for two years. And then to get qualifications to join up as an mm-hmm. aircraft tech in the Air Force. So we pretty much did the same thing. Same path, yeah. I that. Exactly but Phil, thing. you just bailed. You went straight in, didn't you? After, after you quit the air cadets. Because <laughs> it was too hard. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. How Could, was it? How was years. it for you, mate? Because I, I mean, from my, I joined the Air Force a month after you joined the Marines, and you're two years younger than me, and I was just like, yeah. wow. So we wrote each of the blueies all the time, didn't we? So letters to, yeah. for the younger listeners out there. Letters are what we had before <laughs> <laughs> we could text. <laughs> yeah. How was it, Phil? Um, yeah, it was a massive shock to the system. To be fair. Just, even just like, just being away from home was yeah. like, you know, it was, it, that was hard. Yeah. I think it's hard. as well, you know, you've had your mum shouting at you, going tired of your room. But when you've got an entire team of DSIP staff sh- screaming at you 24-7, uh, it's, the room is the last thing on your mind, isn't it? When you turn up. Yeah, and it's room. like, and like being 16 as well, you're like in a troop of 50 odd blokes. All in one room. All in one First room. First two weeks is mental, yeah. isn't it? And... <clears throat> not quite sure I was the youngest there, but I was pretty close mm. to it. So you just, you know, you've got loads, like, you've got blokes in the 30s you join up with at the same mm. time, and it's just like, oof, you know. And I and I was five foot six and eight and a half stone when I joined the Marines. <laughs> so there's like, like huge blokes all around. You're like, oh, my word. <laughs> so for me, for, so for those of, probably not, I don't want to assume that people know, but Phil is my brother, so my younger <laughs> brother. So just put that out there. But So when you, when I've, when you finished training a year later, you were like twelve stone. I just I couldn't believe how much you changed. Yeah. Um, the way you carried yourself, everything about you just it was it, it, it you just it was your self confidence. You know what I mean? It was just like what have they done to him? <laughs> I think I'd like to have a bit of that. So obviously I was inspired to join the corps, but it was all those letters, mate. That that you know that we used to send each other. I'm like. 
you were doing all that cool stuff and I was just learning how to fix fast jets and helicopters, which is, to be honest, <laughs> it's like working on a car for me at the time. It was just... Yeah, expensive car. <laughs> yeah. But best part of training, Phil, for you? Ooh, the best part of training... This is not the best part of training. Finishing it. <laughs> yeah, the end. <laughs> Equally horrible, isn't it? Pass out parade. But let's get back onto like, um, like mental health resilience. Yeah. How did you get through it? Because I wouldn't have been able to at 16. End of story. I wasn't, I hadn't grown enough. I wasn't mature enough. I wouldn't have done it. I'm sure I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. I always think I was pretty naive when I joined up, to be honest. I didn't know massive amounts about the Marines. The, re the reason I joined the Marines was because of the air cadets. So right. we went to RAF Mildenhall for one of the air shows. I think I was on the bus with you. You may well have been. You may, <laughs> they I were good it, trips out, they we did, were. We did more than one though, didn't we? So yeah, it might have been yeah. a slightly earlier one. I think maybe when I was 15 or so. And we like, loved aeroplanes and stuff and... But then walking around, and there was a Royal Marines display set up there. You know the one where they got like they the... still do it, don't they? Where they all fight I'm not sure. and oh, did they have a no? Not the fighting one. It was right. it had a climbing wall and a, and a rope swing and like you know and, and there were a load of boot necks stood on the top, all looking tonkas. Yeah, and I was like, that looks like real good fun. I think I'll join the Marines. <laughs> <laughs> How wrong you were. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so that I think that started probably when I was about fifteen. So again, and then, we, and then like, and then Dad bought me that Royal Marines book for Christmas yeah, that, that yeah. year by James D. Ladd. Yeah, uh, uh, most bootnecks have read that. And that I'm was sure. it, really. It was pretty much like, yeah, I'm going to do this. So for me, like looking at this, it all three of us really, whatever reason we were guided into the cadets, the cadets became the the focus of and of why we went in. It was a springboard, wasn't yeah, it? to get a military career, and it was it was an easier path in, was it? Because you know how to polish your boots, iron your stuff, you've done some drill. So, you know, you, you work your way towards that and you join. So, for me, that links me back to positive role models. Mm -hmm. Because we had positive role models. I mean, Craig, you had me, didn't you? Well, you actually, I can't believe I'm saying this. I can't believe I'm saying this. But the reason I joined up was you two are a couple of years older than me. And yeah. I'd seen you join... The Marines and then the Air Force as well. And I thought, you know, I, I really want to do this. I really want to do this. So you two were my influence in joining, without a doubt. Um, you know, this is before Facebook and everything like that. Yeah, so yeah. we didn't get to see what you were doing. But you'd come back. You looked smart. You, you'd changed, like you say, with, with Phil. He'd really changed. Massively. Obviously, he's reverted now. But uh, <laughs> back to eight stone, isn't it? That's it. <laughs> but, oh, Racing snake. <laughs> <laughs> But no, so, you know, and this is what I'm talking about. You've got all these positive role models around you. And we become like the people that we hang around with. And yeah, even to this day... You I, become your environment. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, all these kids out there now that are getting into trouble and everything else, it's because of the people that they're hanging around with. If we could just, you know, put these people in and give them the opportunities that we had by joining a uniform service yeah. or, you know, a sporting activity or anything like that that gets them into an environment where they can excel... There wouldn't be so much ASB. I'm pretty sure of that. I don't think there will. There needs to be more to do. I mean, we're working on uh, 18 to 26, aren't we, Tom? <clears throat> Enter Tom into the conversation. He's been looking and smiling and wishing he was, you know, he'd done some military service. Yeah, I don't yeah, think so, to be honest. No, no, definitely he not. Is, he is good where he's at. Um, 
Yeah, we are working with 18 to 26-year-olds. Uh, that, that was part of something that we did um, in the last six months. Uh, we did a survey um, and asked a lot of 18 to 26-year-olds the same question of what's a barrier for you to access in the services and and as in the services that we provide, yeah. not the services and military services. And they came back and said that they are less likely to engage um, if the people are over 26 years old, but they're even more less likely to engage if they're mixing with people over 30. And yeah. they're more likely to engage if they're in mixed gender groups, whereas over 30s want to be in segregated gender groups. So taking those findings, we put that into then given a, a dedicated budget for 18 to 26 year olds. So that the the bit of a person's life before, obviously the 18 to 26, we're talking like the sort of cadet area, aren't we? What is actually out there? I mean, because because Craig's grown up now, he's, he's no longer... <laughs> I won't go that far. <laughs> he's, he's no longer that kid at, at Cadets, did your Air Force career. Give us a little bit more about after that. Yeah, so uh, I'd done just over 11 years in the Air Force and I'd uh, competed in martial arts ever since I was a kid. But when I first joined up, I remember the uh, corporal said, as soon as you finish basic training, if you do a sport, tell them because you'll get Wednesday afternoons off. I was Absolutely, like, yeah, mate, I did cross country. It was yeah. awesome. <laughs> so uh, I took retook up martial arts uh, straight away uh, once I got to my first unit, and that expanded. So I started fighting for the station. Then I got picked mm. for the uh, RAF team, and then I fought for combined services. So towards the end of my career, probably <laughs> two thirds of my working year was representative sport. So I was yeah. almost like a full time paid athlete. Um, so what I did was I started teaching. Uh, in the gym on Wednesday lunchtime as well. And um, pretty soon we got like 200 people in the gym on station training martial arts. It was absolutely fantastic. Then we started uh, doing an evening session as well where the service personnel could bring their kids. And again, it just expanded, expanded. I thought, you know what, Craig, you could do this in your own center. So I was stationed at RAF Lossiemouth at the time, right at the tip of Scotland. Basically, if you go any further, you fall off the end. Now, I heard that you only get stationed up there if you did something naughty <laughs> and get caught. I actually volunteered to go up there. I heard it was like party central at Club 1830. Uh, so, yeah. I <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, I set up my own martial arts gym, full-time centre up there. I got a, an old building, and when I say old, it was old in the far-frozen north. Um, we spent a bit of money on it, made it look nice, fully matted it. And it was one of the first full-time martial arts centers in the, in Scotland at that time. Cool. And it just expanded and expanded. And we weren't, we weren't charging a massive amount or anything like that. And all of a sudden it was, it was only good money. And I thought, you know what, I could do this full-time. Mm. And I was just coming up to 30 at the time. And I'd just come in towards the end of my, my 12 year service. So I thought, well, I can sign on, and they promoted me as it happens. So they said, oh, I will promote you, but you've got to sign on for another 10 years oh, yeah, to do the full 10 years. <laughs> and I thought, I spoke to the wife, and I said, you know, we've got an opportunity here where we could do this full time, but in 10 years' time, I don't know if I'll be able, because I'd be 40, and, you know, as I know, definitely know now, but body's breaking and everything else like that. Um, so we, I decided to bang out at uh, 12 years and come back home. I rang my mom and says, right, I'm moving back to Colville. And she says, uh, well, what are you going to do? I says, well, I'm going to run a martial arts gym. She goes, don't be stupid. Nobody will pay for martial arts in Colville. That was, eight, <laughs> that was 18 years ago and around about 10,000 students later. Yeah. So, you know, we've had a massive impact. We're the biggest martial arts school in the local area. Um, in fact, we're bigger than all the others put together. Um, we've now got two full-time centers. We've got one at Haven as well. We've got currently over 1,000 students between the two centres. We have a footfall of four, 500 people a night. And like I say, we've, we've taught over 10,000 local yeah. people within the North West Lashier community. Um, but what we've done is it's not just kicks and punches. We actually change lives because I run it 
as a mini military. Yeah. So we take them at three, little ninjas, and then we've got the juniors, which are the older group, then the young adults, then the ladies only, and then we've also got uh, the adults as well. But everybody that comes in is the same. I don't treat anybody any different. I mean, yeah, I don't you, actually... I you're horrible to everyone. I am pretty <laughs> horrible to everybody, yeah. It's, I'm called the bear. Everybody calls coaching. me the bear. <laughs> now, you know, coaching's not easy, is it? Because you have to be honest with people. And this is what I've found, you know, with, with the last five years of working with a leg up. And you've got to, to be effective, you've got to be honest, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, you haven't got to be nasty or unkind. Well, I, I like the nasty bit. It's... Yeah, I heard that as well. I didn't want to bring it up. But you, you have got to... Um, you know, you've got to give feedback and mm -hmm. you've, you've got to be honest. Well, this is it. The, you can't the, progress. The way that we coach and the way that I used to coach, I don't coach full time anymore. I, I yeah. just coach the, the instructors as such now. Um, but when I was teaching all the classes myself, I'd got this persona that I put on and it was called the bear. And he was, he was quite, you know, some people would see it as arrogant, yeah. but it was very much the Sergeant Major. So I was there screaming, you're up in this, everybody was the same. And it was, you know, some people got it and loved it yeah. other people hated it and yeah, didn't stay well. and that's fair because you can't appeal to everybody and that's something i've learned over the years in in all walks of life you yeah. can try and be this broad church and be you know make everybody happy and smiley but internally you're not happy yourself i've uh, i've basically said look i'm not everyone's cup of tea but you know not yeah. everyone drinks tea and that's, that's right that's how i deal with the yeah. negativity that i receive yeah um, i think when anybody's successful in anything you always get a negative side to it i mean of course you do yeah obviously the last couple of years i've got involved in politics um now i thought we weren't going to mention <laughs> we weren't we weren't but I, i'll briefly briefly say because I, I was going to bring up that you know you've got a sideline as well that yeah i've got a little bit of a sideline the sideline that has now taken over my life yeah. um so I'm yeah actually quite interested in politics <laughs> <laughs> it is i mean it is an interesting thing um i didn't i was never political at all uh, i'd always voted at, at elections and things like that but it wasn't until brexit uh happened or didn't happen as such that uh, really got my uh, my feathers ruffled and I ended up very briefly uh, campaigning for Brexit uh, and a clean Brexit and that that got me involved with the local party yeah it will do mate and like moving swiftly away from you for one second Phil just give me a quick view on your political stance my political stance <laughs> yeah <laughs> just to like you know um take it off the political note a little bit yeah <laughs> I think, I think what, Phil, what Phil said is I'm enough. Just, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not really a political person. See, I, I, I love that. Everybody says, oh, I'm not political. But the thing is, everybody's political because we've all got an we opinion are. on everything. Yeah, yeah. So the but discussions I'm, I'm we need of... to have, mm -hmm. we need to have discussions, don't we? Like, well, we're all sat around here having a discussion. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it is, it, it, it does lean into the political arena because... Things need to change, yeah. don't they? It doesn't matter what flavour you are yeah. and what colour you are. No. You know, it could be any, any of the spectrum of colours on the political agenda. But I think everybody that gets into politics does so for the right reasons. What's the problem with politics these days then? I mean, Phil can answer that one. He's probably going to... I like I like to... I, I did get quite political mm -hmm. with the Brexit thing as well. Yeah. So, um, because I, yeah, I, I truly believe that we could make a really good go of it yeah i mean this thing is with the brexit with me i was never a massive brexiteer no i wasn't but i was really annoyed that we weren't getting what the people voted for and you know we've all fought for a, we signed on the dotted line for the country yep. that we would defend her majesty her heirs and successors and the officers set over us and when you've got the politicians 
li- not listening to what the people decided, whether it was 49, 40, uh, 51, whether it was 48, 52, whether it was 70, 30, it doesn't matter. The people spoke and we weren't doing it. And that's what really got me because if democracy fails, we know the alternative and that's not great, is it? Well, no. And <laughs> but I'm having absolutely no political stance uh, on these podcasts. I'm stepping back from all that. Mm. Um, so back to the coaching side of things. Mm-hmm. This, we, for me and yourself, we both want to do the same thing in the area that we grew up in. We want to help people raise the well-being uh, and just raise the you know the the positive look of Colville, which is, you know, at the end of the day, let's be honest, we grew up here. Mm-hmm. The pitch shut down as I left school. It didn't look good, did it? No. And it, it didn't for a number of years it after, didn't did it? It didn't look good, did Let's it? Let's face it, we had 20 years of depression. We ran away into the military. <laughs> there weren't a lot, really, on the table for us, were there? There was not much in Colville at the time, was there? We're, and, we, you know, when I came back, I ended up teaching for 10 years. You're teaching, mm-hmm. cause you, you set up, a, you know, the uh, academy. academy and all that. But here we are. Mm-hmm. Again, Craig, still mm-hmm. trying to do, and I, with all good intention, the right thing, yeah. which is to raise to raise the well-being of everyone, as many people as we can in the local area, and that I think that's that's a worthy thing to do, isn't it? That gives me that gives me purpose. It does. I mean, the most rewarding part of the job is when you see kids come in with their hands in the pocket, head down. They don't know how to shake your hand, and you know they're literally looking at the ground. But over a course of two, three years, the, the head starts to raise up really slowly. The hands yep. come out of the pocket. Yep. You know, we teach them to shake hands. That's one of the first things we teach a child yep. is shake somebody's hand and say, hi, pleased to meet you. So when new people come into the class, the senior belts always go up to the new kids, shake the hand. And it's a really nice thing to see that their confidence is growing throughout. And like I say, we've had uh, uh, there's one particular kid. I won't name him because uh, he'll get a little bit embarrassed if he's listening, but he came in, he'd got a lot of issues, uh, dyspraxia. He, you know, you tell him to put yeah. his left leg up in the air and he put his right arm. It, yeah, it, it yeah. was that bad. And he was one of the most challenging kids that we'd ever had to work with. School had pr- more or less given up with him and this, that and the other. Not only did this kid go on to achieve his black belt, yeah. but he became a really good black belt. Um, he's then gone on to university. Uh, he's now doing his, uh, his master's. So, you know, because yeah, that's we awesome. And what a feeling that is. That's it. And we had a direct input on that because we never yeah. gave up on him. Never gave up on him. And he's done really well for himself since. And But we've seen that throughout the years with lots of different kids. And if we can just change that one or two kids' lives it's the and make that difference. off the back of that, though, it's massive. Yeah. It is. I mean, some of the guys that we worked with in the early days and, you know, we got messages coming in from, from the wives saying, oh, you thanks, you've, you've, I've got my husband back. The kids have got the father back. Yeah, chokes chokes me mm-hmm. up. It's just like you know, oh, it's a bit dusty in the room. Do you yeah. know what I mean? When you get stuff like that, and yeah, it's uh, it's the right thing to do. We live here. We're getting older here. Mm-hmm. Of course, we want it to be a better place. But you know, this is in terms of uh, like positive role models. This is why the leg up operates the way it operates. Yeah. It's like come and join us. We're not going to run around and try and scoop you up, but we are here. Mm-hmm. Come to us. It's like, you yeah. know, there's a lot of synergy between what you do and what we do. Absolutely. You know, it's exactly the same, really. Absolutely. Yeah. So has it really been 30 years? Yeah, it's unfortunately. I know I don't you know look a day older. it's more than 30 years. <laughs> it is more than 30 years, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> oh, man. So how long have we been on? Uh, Good half an hour. Yeah, 35 minutes. Wicked, right. So I, I think in terms of what we're doing to move forward, Tom's working on the 18 to 26, which is great. We're not, we have no... 
um, intention to work with under 18s. Mm -hmm. This is where we sit now. I, I did a long part of my life working with um, teenagers, young, younger teenagers that you know out of mainstream education. I work with young offenders. I've worked with ex-offenders, but I did a lot of that. Um, I'm not. I'm not in that zone anymore. That. But what? Putting your uh, counsellor head on. Mm -hmm. What do we need, and how do we move towards it? in the locality for antisocial behaviour, because it is a big issue. It's a huge issue, and it's only getting worse, unfortunately. Um, I think a lot of the, the problem is with antisocial behaviour, particularly in northwest Leicestershire, is early intervention. We're not getting to these kids 100%. early enough. You know, by the time they're 18, 19, I'm really sorry to say this, but we've almost failed them. You know, Yes, we can bring some back, but you know, we've got issues with county lines and all sorts in this area, yep. where they're getting younger and younger. Yep. And we need to get these kids off the streets, involved in other activities. And one of the things that I get really, really annoyed about, uh, you know, I love Facebook. It's a great tool, but it's also vile at times. Yeah. And they'll say, well, there's nothing for kids to do. And I saw this one about three or four months ago, actually. And somebody put, there's nothing for the kids to do in the, in the town or in this, that and the other. And I'm like, what absolute horse crap. Mm. There is so much, so much for kids to do. When we were kids, we had the air cadets, the yep. scouts, maybe a few other things. Yeah. I can name over 20 martial arts clubs in the in Northwest last year for a start. So that's just one little but, thing. But what about the sort of financial status? Well, it's got, we, we know that... Yeah, but there's something for everybody because, yeah. you, you know, we're sitting here in Rothley House in Colville now. We're looking out over Colville Town Football Club. Yeah. Colville Town Football Club has got over 1,200 uh, members, mm. mostly juniors. Very little cost, fantastic setup, yeah. great facility, you know, They've even got the uh, Sean Colpin now is working with the kids that need extra help and yep. everything else. There's some massive things happening in Colville. You've got lots and lots of sports, and I want to get away from the sports because it's easy for you to fall into that trap because we're we're all of sporty. It is. But there's other. Well, things. you can speak for yourself. I am not sporty <laughs> by any means. So, um, so for me though, we, I mean, we we're an education and training, uh, not for profit company. That's what mm -hmm. we are. So there's you know there's a real there's. And people do see us out there on the hills in the kayaks and all that, but the, our training, our educational package mm -hmm. is pretty good. And for me, what's missing, right? Kids that don't feel like they belong, mm -hmm. like love and belonging, Maslow's hierarchy needs. I am a firm believer that the school system is failing, mm -hmm. not simply because kids don't, do not feel like they belong. Mm -hmm. So like you're in politics, can't you just sort this out? Funny you should say that. I was at the, our party conference last week and I got to speak with the Minister for Sport. Yeah. So, Stuart Matthews. Um, I've given him a card. We're going to have a conversation in the thing. I believe that vehemently that we need to get children actively involved in sport at an early age compulsory. If you look at uh, top performing countries like Japan, yeah, they all do. An hour of PE. Okay, let me just back school. you off that because you're talking about performance here, right? Nope, no, I'm not. No, but when you like Japan, mm -hmm. right? So for me, effort should be rewarded more than performance. That's something I learned in the Marines. Mm -hmm. right? You know, you could be at the front winning every time, but if you weren't putting more effort in than the guy at the back, you get thrashed. You go again. But the thing, I, I 100% believe that physical activity should be in schools compulsively. Mm -hmm but it's the way that it's delivered that's massively important. Now, I've done a lot of studying on this, mm -hmm. and we'll share this post 
this um, podcast because there's I, I did a degree in education yep. so you know it is my bag I left mainstream education because it left a bad taste in my mouth it wasn't fit for purpose but we're sat here now we've got an issue let's push something forward locally because I, I definitely mm. you know you can get your hands dirty in the pol- political game and I can support you with what yeah. what good strategy good strategies may be yeah but it's got to come from the top I mean it has. currently the criteria is that a school that should have two hours of physical education per week. Yeah. Now, I w- don't get me wrong, I was that fat kid at school that hated PE. Yeah. Absolutely hated PE. But I went on to compete for my country in three different sports. Yeah. Uh, you know, I had opportunities given to me. I've competed all around the world in my chosen sports as well. And I wouldn't have done that had I not been forced to do something I didn't enjoy at the time. Now, force is probably a little bit... Um, too strong a word because if kids get involved in an activity and we're not talking sport here we're just talking physical activity yeah, wake and shake walking walking yeah. to school there's a thing called uh, zero rpt ever heard of it no not okay so they did massive studies in america on 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 students that did pt before uh, going to classes and those that that were didn't have to and motivation brace basically it, it wakes everything up for mm-hmm. you to learn well, that's me giving yeah. it basic, but it, it's there's there's good evidence out there that motivation, that movement brings motivation. Movement helps you learn. Yeah, hundred well, percent. So, I mean, even now I train. Why won't you do it? Well, it's not a case of won't won't want to do it. Locally, there are schools that are embracing this. I yeah. mean, I, I work quite a lot with uh, Rich down at Beaverdale. Right. Uh, Miss, you know, he's got a really good outlook. He's a fantastic teacher. If you ever, uh, I'll, I'll give him a plug. If you go onto Facebook and you search for Beaverdale County Primary School and look what they do with their kids, well, I mean, it's absolutely I, unbelievable. I'd like to speak to him. He could come on a podcast. Yeah, Richard Dax, he's really good at it. I'm seeing him on Friday, actually, because I'm taking the boat down uh, for the kids to have a look at. But, uh, yeah, there are schools that are wanting to do it. But, unfortunately, there are a lot of schools that don't want to do it yeah. because they're, they're being ramroded in that you must teach maths, English, and, you know, you've got to Well, you teach must teach maths and English. That's, that's right. It's how you teach it that's important. But, for me, problem solving is the biggie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is. I mean, again, if you, you're giving kids the opportunity to have some sort of wake and shake or yeah. some physical activity yeah. before school, one, you know, cognitively, they're going to be well up. So what did you do else. this morning? So I did an 8K row. I didn't enjoy it. It was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> but I do a lot of rowing, as you know. But yeah. Uh, yeah so it. I've like set myself a challenge on Friday to, to walk up Barden Hill mm-hmm. 52 times before the end of the year. Because uh, one of the uh, Gary Gary Warren from uh, was one of the leg up lads a couple of years back, so um, he set the project. He set up a Facebook group, Barden Fifty Two, mm-hmm. with the challenge was once a week. So Friday I decided to do that. So this morning I was like I was up there at quarter past five, <laughs> top of Barden Hill. So yeah, but getting it done, yeah, feel loads better for it. That's it. I, nobody post workout. And I always say post-workout, because yeah. during workout, yeah. if you're pushing yourself, it's horrible. But nobody post-workout says, I wish I'd have done that. You know? We were discussing this last night while we were walking at Bard Nail last night, because mm. we did one last night as well. So we, you know, we will be encouraging more people to join us. But the, the thing is, we are limited to how many people we can take, but we're not limited to how many people we can inspire. Mm-hmm. Because you can get out and walk. You don't need to come with us to go out and walk. But this is about that role model thing. Yeah. The more people do it, the more people want to do it. But walking, it's accessible, it's easy. It and is. I agree, mate, it should be tied into education. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I say, if we can start them early and build it in as a habit, 
you know, get kids out there. So by the time they're 18, 19, if it's part of their daily routine that yeah. they go for a walk first thing yeah. or they go do a little bit of fizz, you know, they're going to be better adults. And for me, physical activity is equally, if not more important than maths, English, because maths and English will not save your life. Yeah, we've got this massive ticking time bomb. We've seen people in the 30s getting type 2 diabetes yeah. more and more. Yeah. A perfectly preventable disease. It, it is, that is massive. And, and even back in, into the mental health side of things, like physical activity is one of the four pillars of mental health. So I'll quickly go mm. through. Like, so your four pillars of mental health are basically stress management, which physical activity comes into. Yep. But you've got stress management, nutritional balance, sleep improvement, uh, and physical activity, they're the four. Mm. But walking is super easy. Yeah. It links to everything. If it's it's a positive coping mechanism that is way better than going down the pub, if you're upset, go for a walk first. Mm-hmm. If you want to go down the pub. But for me, it was walking that was, because I, I was injured when I was injured coming out of the Marines, it was walking that yeah. saved me. Getting out, getting away, sitting with the emotions that were new to me and just working through them. So it's just the physical side of things. It ties mm-hmm. into the mental side of things. It's think, massive. Yeah, one of the things here as well, the area that we live in, it's an, an area of outstanding natural beauty. I mean, we have got some amazing places. Absolutely amazing. I actually, as I've lived here all my life, and I'm ashamed to say this, until lockdown, I'd never been up Barden Hill. But, you know, when the government said you've got to go out every day for an hour to walk and absolutely everyone went out and did an hour of physical activity a day. Yeah. God, don't you wish we did that now? You know, why are the government not turning around to us and saying you need to do one hour of physical activity a day and everybody will go out and walk again? But we all did because the government told us to do it. So we did it. Um, for some reason, I don't know, but I'm on. not sure that's why I did it, Craig. Because the government told me I was already doing it. <laughs> you, you're just a lockdown was like, you know what? Lockdown is like it was. I was out all the time yeah. during lockdown. I mean, we ran the leg up mm-hmm. all the way through lockdown. We it Zoom, um, and we connected with a lot of people nationally as well. But locally, we were actually allowed to have 16 people walking. Mm-hmm. We kept it. We kept it down to like six because I didn't want to. I didn't want to create an outrage, yeah. you know, and have to defend my position <laughs> as like, you know, as a well-being coach. But we we kept we kept going all the way through, and oh. and a lot of people. That was a heavy time for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the lockdown. It was um, November. Mm-hmm. The lockdown was like odd. It was a lot of one-to-ones online. But again, you know, we, we, that's behind us, and mm-hmm. everybody should look at building their, you know, building up their mental health to be stronger. Mm-hmm. And the resilience, so the the inevitable knockbacks of life that are coming, because we've all got them. You know, we can we can ride them out a bit better. We can make better decisions through our times, that sort of thing. But yeah, everything we've discussed, everything that we're both doing, moving that yeah. way, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. And you get yourself to Bradgate Park. You stand on top of that hill. You look around. You take a big breath in. Yeah. I, I challenge anybody not to be, you know, in awe of it because yeah. it is a fantastic place. And it's just being in the outdoors, isn't it? The old charwood. Yeah. There's so many footpaths. The things that I hear when I'm running the walking groups, oh, I didn't realise this footpath was here, and oh, I've never been to the top of here, or I didn't know that. Or, And it is, you know, mm. there are some stunning views out there. You get out and walk around charwood, it is fantastic. Mm. Do you think that's something that you get as you get older, though? Because, you know, like I said, as a kid, I was never sporty. Um, I did sport because I was made to, but, uh, yeah. 
as I get older, I want to see a more experience more of this. I want to get out and do walks and go places. You know, I always, I mean, I did from from being young. I was always out sleeping out and camping out and stuff like that. We we did that as kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe you know there there is something deep within us as human beings that want to explore. I think that nourishes something in us to just go and see what's over that next hill or what's around that next bend. Um, but yeah, I mean, for you, I mean, you're probably a bit more present in terms of what you what you need. Whereas, you know, when you're building up your company, the academy and all that, you are focused fully in on it, aren't you? Mm-hmm. And again, this, this is the old thing about what we do at the project. Because even for me, every single time I deliver a session, I, I'm questioning how I'm maintaining my mental and physical health. Mm-hmm. And that's why I've put myself on a challenge. It's been a, it's been a busy, tough year. And I'm like, I've got to fight through, you know? October, November, December, what can I do? Oh, I'll do 52 walks up the hill. I've got, I've got to keep moving, you know? I've got to work through. Um, and, then, you know, getting the rest, sometimes you, you've got to, you know, you have to, you have to plan that in to the future knowing that it's coming because resting is a massive part of maintaining 100%. your mental and physical well-being people some people i mean i didn't know that when i was younger i would run 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 burn out run 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 burn out you know that's what that's how i trained mm-hmm. but the knowledge that's out there now and and how accessible it is is phenomenal combine that with a community spirit and support of other people that's that's where you win in a community and like you've built an awesome community with your academy you know we've got the lego project which is there's there is hundreds of people been involved in mm-hmm. in the project and and you know there's there's people out there that keep going out walking together that that, that met like up two three four years ago and they're out they're out doing mountains together and doing all sorts of things together as a result a result of stepping out you know meeting other people and realizing that it doesn't matter how old you get, you can still make new friends mm-hmm. and do new things. It's like, it's, I think it is about finding kind of your tribe really, isn't it? 100%. I mean, you've changed lives. Just, uh, you know, the Lego project is changing lives every week. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. But again, like I say, like I do people when they turn around and thank me for what I've done. I'm like, look, you've done it. You, you have turned up. You've done the work. You've put the effort in. And, it, you know, it's... Mm-hmm. It is a nice feeling to be part of that journey for people, but ultimately they're 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 the ones that right. do the work. Obviously, the three of us um, are veterans, not only of the cadets, eleven eighty eight squadron, who rah, but um, the RAF. Both me and Craig served in the RAF, and the Marines. Both me and Phil served in the Marines. <laughs> I had a little bit of both. Um, my exit was difficult. Uh, people know about my exit. Obviously, I wrote a book about it. We're doing a book release on the 16th of October. Get the book in, get bro. Get the book in. Keep forgetting that. So, yeah. So, I had a sticky exit. It weren't much fun. Mm-hmm. Craig, how was yours? Um, I think it's, it's a really... I, I got an easy exit, if I'm honest, because I'd already known exactly what I wanted to do, setting up the academies and everything else. But one of the biggest things that I felt when I left was that I was alone. Because, you know, for the last 12 years, you'd been in an environment where you could screw up, you could make mistakes and everything else. But ultimately, somebody was there to always give you a hand up, give you a leg back up, get back up, get doing it and crack on. When I first started my business, I trusted 
everybody. And I mean, I trust oh, everybody. Oh, mate, I know that feeling. <laughs> and, oh, man, and this is probably why I nearly went bankrupt a couple of times. You know, people would come in, I've got this great idea. Um, I'd like you to uh, give us £2,000 and you can put uh, your advert on the back of a doctor's appointment card. And I'm like, oh, yeah, and we see 10,000 people a week. <laughs> oh, right, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely do that. Sign me up. Then you sit back and you think, hang on a minute, who goes to the doctor's? Pregnant people and um, old age pensioners. Sick people. Not really my demographic, is it? And no. sick people. <laughs> so, you know, that, that was just one example of throwing money away. And so many people tried to get one over on you constantly. Yeah. Yeah. And it took me a long while to get used to it. Why are people doing this? Because in the military, you could work with absolutely anybody. You might not like the guy next to you, but you know he'd got you back or yeah. she had got you back. Yeah. You know, no matter what. Yeah, okay, there was a bit of an... Yeah, I can't say it because we're not allowed to swear. I've been told that. Okay, but <laughs> <laughs> they had got you back. And in Civvy Street, I found very early on that wasn't the case. And it took me a long while to get over that. And now I've pretty much come to full circle. I've surrounded myself by people that are like military people. I, I, I network with a lot of people, uh, military yeah. people as well. Uh, I do a lot of work with the RBL and become really good friends with them as well. So, you know, I think we all search for that belonging and we all want to be, like you say, a part of a tribe. Definitely. Um, you know, one of the guys that, uh, like, I think a year and a half ago, we started an over 60s rowing program and it was targeted at the RBL because we do spend a lot of time Damn snivvy. RBL being Royal British Legion. <laughs> Royal British Legion, okay. Colville, Br okay. Whittick Branch, sorry. Uh, really good group, do lots and lots of activity, but we yep. it's centred around drinking culture. Okay. And I thought, well, we could perhaps do something here that would get some of them out. Um, we got some of the members of the RBL in the 60s, 70s, and even 80s, in fact, uh, coming down and, and rowing with us. And there's one particular guy, Glyn Jones, he's the, the treasurer of the, the group. He's a year and a half in now. I think he's just had a birthday. I think he's 67, maybe maybe 68. He'll probably tell me off if I've got it wrong. But he's still rowing. He's now Wicked. gone from somebody that had never done any physical activity for over 65 years to somebody that is really fit. He's keeping up with most you know, of the people in the group. you know, when you see people like that, because I've trained all my life, so obviously my body hurts, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> and then you see someone who just starts training in sort of 50s and stuff, yeah. and they're like... I'm so jealous that all their elbows and their knees are not anywhere near as mashed up as mine. <laughs> but it is fantastic to but see he's, people he's there embrace it. Half past six, yep. every morning, awesome. without fail, he's there. And he puts so much effort in. And like I say, he's gone from being, and I'm sure he, he won't mind me saying, he was pretty useless at the beginning because he'd never done anything before. But we've worked with him, we've encouraged him, we've motivated well, didn't need to motivate him. You like obviously say, mean useless at rowing. Yeah, useless at rowing. <laughs> and accounts, you know, he's the treasurer. That's a bit harsh. But no, he's, he's got so good, and Brilliant. I'm absolutely in awe of him. Absolutely in awe. That wasn't a pun, was it? It's not a rowing <laughs> pun, is it? <laughs> Phil, your exit out of the Marines. Um, my exit was pretty, fairly smooth, to be honest. Um, because I left by choice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I decided fairly early on in my 20s that I didn't want to have kids while I was still in the forces. Because. Because it didn't work very yeah, well. Yeah, because it's, you know, they just get moved around a lot. They have trouble making social connections and all yeah. that sort of stuff. So, yeah. I So basically, I came to Commander Logistics Regiment because yeah. we knew you were already leaving. Yeah, yeah, because I got injured and, and yeah. Yeah, so uh, basically... We, so we served together, didn't we? It was for wicked. a year. <laughs> it was, it was, yeah. it was so good. you left and I, I'd, I'd done 
so basically I'd done my 18 months notice at Commander Logistics yeah. and left six months after you'd left. Yeah. Um, so I'd got it, well, I didn't know what I was going to do, didn't have a clue what I was going to do. Um, but I'd made that decision and it was my decision, so that was good. But once I'd got out, it was like I, I was slightly different to your, um, how yours was. Because I just thought it was like freedom for me because, you know, you've spent your, from 16 to 24 in the Marines and you do what you're told. You know what I mean, and then yeah. and then you're out in Civvy Street, and it's like, well, I don't have to do what I'm told anymore. It's painful. In the, <laughs> it's painful in the Marines if you don't do what you're told, ain't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. Everybody yeah. grows the beard as well. The first one. Well, wait, I, well I would have done. <laughs> I would have done, done if you could. I, 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 I'm not quite capable. Yeah. Not manly enough. So yeah, so I spent um, the first three years after coming out of the forces, just like you know, I'd I'd, I'd, I'd have a job. I'd got a full time job. And if something happened that I didn't like, I'd just be like, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> you know, it was like many a time, um, up working up in Nottingham. I remember I... you walking off that job. <laughs> you got the bus home, didn't you? Caught the bus home from Nottingham. Well, I actually went back to, to the to the base, didn't I? Yeah. And uh, I said, I'm I'm not working for that guy. He's 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 massively arrogant. He's you know what I mean. I was, and just because you could, I did. <laughs> I mean, he was probably under a lot of pressure for you know. You gave him a benefit of the doubt. <laughs> yeah. he weren't, we weren't very nice was it I remember no, you weren't a nice man so yeah you just got on a bus in Nottingham and went went back to Loughborough yeah back, back, back to the to, base went back to, went base, back to see work. the boss basically said I'm not going to go and work for that bloke yeah he sort of stuttered a bit and <laughs> I think you know what and then sent me on a different job I, th <laughs> I think was happy with. the, the but, thing is Phil that a massive part of, of your well-being your, your happiness etc is it's going to be people in your life that is the common denominator how you treat people and how you let people treat you and, I, huge, and also it? i think how you let people treat other people Agreed. as well because yeah, because the, the guy i had the issue with was not he, he he had an issue with the guy with our foreman yeah and the way he was speaking to him and, and i had to step in because <laughs> because it was like hold on a minute mate you, you might own this business but you know, you can't you can't be speaking to people like that. It's, yeah. You know, I've never been a fan of, of people treating everyone like badly, and that's why I got sacked from that job. <laughs> 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 and and that's that, isn't it, Phil? Because you know yeah. they were they were paying us all different rates. Well, it, it, somebody it, had to print it and let everyone it, know, and that it, was me. It was you bounced around a little bit, didn't you? But then yeah, you I landed. Did that, I did that a few times. I did. I I walked out a couple of jobs. Yeah. Just because I wasn't happy and. And and I and I could do it. Yeah, as you, well. You're in that position mentally, weren't you? Really, that you yeah, could. Yeah, but yeah, the, but then, yeah, dropped onto. Uh, well, joined an agency on the advice of a friend of ours. Yep. Um, and ended up being at the job I'm at now. Yeah. For the last twenty. That's pretty steady. Twenty one, twenty two years. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty steady. Do, do we give them a shout out or not? No. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to, do we? <laughs> I think they earn enough in profits every year without me advertising for them. <laughs> yeah. So I, I didn't get much sleep last night, which is not cool, right? Because I was up at quarter five, so I could go up that hill again. And that's the thing about commitment committing to something and getting out there. You just got to get out and get it done. But I was watching a really uh, interesting program on Netflix about. Uh, Florida University football team 
and their coaching and all that. I just picked up a couple of bits. So is that the cheerleading thing? No, no, no that was not last that week. <laughs> 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 We're talking about the Gators, American right. football. I'm not a massive American football fan, but I'm really interested in. The, uh, the, when we're talking about coaching. So they were talking about attitude, effort and focus, right? This is what the coach was saying and what the players were saying. That is all on you as an individual. So for every single one of us that's not happy with what's happening in our life, right? You, your attitude is on you. The amount of effort you put in is on you. And focusing on what you want to do is on you. And I think it's not that easy without a coach to to work on those three areas and i think that's for me that's what the leg up gives people you can find out what you want to do like what areas you need to balance in your life i'll ask the difficult questions you know but building courage building resilience building your support network and having more love and belonging and more purpose to what you want to be doing in your life for me, they're the really important parts of what we do as uh, as a project. Mm-hmm. So, same sort of thing as what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, with, I, with I, the academy, I think coaching is the most underrated thing out there. A good coach can change lives, and I'm not just talking sport here as well. I yeah. mean, I've, I've got a business coach now. I've got a you know political coach. Um, coaches change lives because no matter how good you are as an athlete, as a business person. You can always be better. Yeah. And but because you're so Im- immersed in what you're doing, it's difficult to see. You're almost constantly trying to, you know, battle the water and get your head above the water, that you can't see the horizon and what's what's over the edge. And I learned pretty early on that by having a, a particularly a business coach. I mean, I, I, when I first left, like I said, I had a, a lot of issues with overtrusting people, putting the wrong people in places. I was literally just chasing the next pound to pay the next bill. Yeah. Been there. And then. I, I engaged with a guy called Dave Holland as a as a business coach about eight nine years ago now, and he literally overnight changed my business. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden, we weren't in the red anymore, which was great because we'd spent nearly ten years in the red, um, you know, and we've never been in the red since that day. But he made me think in a totally different way. I still work with him now. He's you know an absolutely great guy. But coaches can make such a massive positive impact because they're not directly involved, mm. but they're, they're there to point you. They're not going to change you as in make you a better athlete. Only you can do that or a better business person. Only you can do that. But they're the ones that are going to be your sound check. They're the ones that are going to bounce back on you. And that's what we do, you know, as coaches. Yeah, definitely. You know, we're not going to make somebody super fit if they don't want to be super no, fit. No, of course not. But we can help them. We can, yeah. you know, we're not going to make somebody not feel suicidal if they they want to stay in that mindset yeah but for the ones that you know admit that they've got an issue and they're, they're suffering mental health problems yeah. and they ask you for help and we can turn around to them and say well look this is what we can do and this is what if they subscribe to that then we can change their life yeah but i know you know you and i have taught this about in length you can't help everybody you can only help the people that want to be helped 100 percent one and that and, and that's been a bit of a sticking point over the last five years with people like you, I I cannot work with somebody who is hundred percent in victim mode and and the circumstances they find themselves in is everybody else's fault apart from them. And I've been that guy. Yeah, I've been that guy, and and I kind of like woke up from that and I was disappointed that I'd actually got to that point. And it, you know, it's a fair one. You know, I. I 
much the same as everyone. I'd had a, quite a lot of stuff go on at, yeah, and the impact of all that, you know, just ended up as a victim, mm-hmm. like play, playing the victim or living the victim. But ultimately, it's you are, you know, it's your attitude, uh, your focus and the amount of effort. Focus is the hardest one, I think. Mm-hmm. Finding how to move forward. That's the difficult Yeah, one. I think... I think a lot of the time when people are in a bad place, they know they want to get away from the bad place. Yeah. But what they don't know is which direction to go. But that's where a good coach comes in because exactly. they'll be able to show you these directions. Definitely. But the thing is, when you get to that bad place, there's a you, you usually got a bit of a trust issue with people. Very much so. And, and I know this, you know, I'm talking from my own experience, you know, because you get, like you and like I've done, Craig, you know, I was I was expecting most people to be like what it was like <laughs> when I was in the Marines and, and the Air Force and it, it didn't work like that. But that's a naivety that a lot of veterans have. Yeah, well, being in the forces there, you're kind of sheltered. Massively. Because you know you're with a good bunch of people. You know what yeah. I mean? So you're sheltered from civilian life and yeah, you know, not, how people treat same, each other outside. It's not the same. It's a completely... It's a community that's been vetted. Yeah, That's exactly. what it is. But yeah, so you, there's the trust issue side of things. Uh, and the other thing I find is when you get into that, you know, you're having a dark patch or you're in the... Or whatever you want to call it, you also... People tend to struggle to make decisions, so they want like they want me to make their decisions for them, and I don't do that no. as a coach. You know, you don't tell people what to do on this on the decisions that are, you know they need to make their own decisions. But what you can do is help them build up that sort of like um, that belief in themselves. Well, a good coach will challenge you. Of course, you know, they're not like you say; they're not telling you what to do. You can only build resilience, yeah. can't you, by continually right. being challenged and having stretch goals. So, yep. if, if you don't know what a stretch goal is, it's basically from A to B, but actually, we'll challenge them to C so that they'll land at B. Yep. If you tell people to come to B, they'll always fall slightly short. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm, I'm a huge believer in stretch goals. Just aim for that little bit more than what you can do. Yeah. And then you're going to be really happy with what you get. I like to take people on 10 milers that actually turn out to be nearer 12. <laughs> because <laughs> they do get quite upset near the end. But then there's this little bit of like, wow, will we achieve this? So it's a bit naughty, but it's it gets results. Because you're committed once you're out there, aren't you? You're going to do walk back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing any more than six miles. <laughs> so, so I think uh, probably wrap episode two up. And um, yeah... Health and well-being is kind of the order of the day for these these podcasts. Uh, I want to thank Craig and Phil for their input today. Uh, awesome. And um, looking forward to episode three, whoever that's going to be with, because not quite sure yet. But yeah, cheers for listening, everyone. And uh, that's me. I'm done. Do you want to say goodbye as well? <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Any last words, Craig? Uh, Thank you very much for the invite. It's been uh, absolutely great chatting to you two again. No, wicked. Great, man. Thanks for tuning on. Thanks for uh, buying us coffee at Spoons.